Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read here uh, a few verses. Starting with verse 20. Paul says this. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we, that is to say the Christians, we Christians proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Look at that. We proclaim Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews. We proclaim a stumbling block to Jews and proclaim foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, we proclaim Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger uh, than human strength. Amen. Let's pray. Father, let your word come alive, God. I thank you for the way the anointing has been present here in the worship service, Lord. I thank you for the way the anointing has been present with the children's program. And now, Lord God, we're asking that your anointing would be here as the word of God goes forth, Lord. Give me succinctness of expression to get this in in the next half hour. But, Lord God, make it powerful. Lord, we want to be kingdom people who are sold out to your agenda and are not compromised by the agenda of the world. But, Lord, I can't talk a soul into that. I don't care how my words come together. I don't care how the speech might go. It's not going to do what needs to happen unless you, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, are anointing it and moving it and impregnating it to move into our ears and explode in our minds and hearts. So, Lord, we trust you to do that. I'm not even going to try to make that happen. Instruct your army here, Lord. Empower your army to go out and be the kingdom people that you've called us to be. And we give you the praise and the thanks for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We've, uh, in the last month or so, however long we've been in this chapter, what we've seen is that God intentionally, because the world, the world, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God and the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world, um, God intentionally, on purpose, uses foolish things to advance his kingdom. If you've ever looked at the church, and some of the things that the church does, or ever read the Bible, and some of the things that are in the Bible, and you said, man, that is really foolish. Uh, well, you're getting the point. God seems to specialize in using things that are weak to confound the strong, and things that are foolish to confound the wise. That's part of his strategy. He uses the church. That's a very foolish thing to do, because the church is full of people like you and me, and that makes it foolish. You would think that the all-powerful, all-wise, omnipotent creator of the universe could do better than that. But he chooses to use the foolishness of a human organization like the church and infuse it with his spirit and in spite, not because, but in spite of the people who are in it, advance his kingdom. So that it's all to the glory of God, so no one can boast. I built this church, or I did this, or I did that. All the glory goes to God, because it's very clear to anybody who's got half their wits about them that this is way too foolish to get anything done unless God is in it. That's his style. That's his program. He uses the foolishness of becoming a man and the foolishness of the cross to outwit the devil who thinks he's so wise. And so we saw on Easter morning that, that God just outsmarts the enemy by becoming a man and making himself vulnerable. The enemy seeks to destroy him, but the whole thing backfires in his face. Praise God. And that's what frees us former slaves to become now members of the, uh, of, of the kingdom of God. And we saw several weeks ago that God uses the outrageous and it looks foolish dimension of his love to transform us from the inside out. 
God's love is a love that just knows no limits. It, it, is, it is, by any normal standards of calculation, foolish. It's the love of a, of a woman who turns her house upside down to find one silly lost coin. It's the love of a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep that are there and goes in search of the one that was so dumb it got lost. Uh, it's the love of the, the, the father of a prodigal son who even though the son wanted his inheritance ahead of time, couldn't wait till he died, but left and squandered the whole thing. This father runs like some idiot, holding, raising his dress, running down the road because he sees his son is returning to him. That's God's foolish love towards each one of us, and it transforms us from the inside out. The foolishness of God is the most powerful aspect of the gospel. Uh, the whole kingdom of God is upside down. It's inside out. Nothing seems quite uh, right by ordinary standards. So what we're going to see here this morning is this. To live consistent and to preach consistent with the kingdom of God is necessarily to live and to preach in ways that are going to be offensive to the world. If you're going to really move in the, to move in sync with the power and the truth that constitutes the kingdom of God, you've got to be willing to let God redefine a new quote-unquote normal for you which means you've got to let go of the old normal. God's normal is foolishness to the world's normal. The world's normal is foolishness to God's normal. Growth in the kingdom comes when we are willing to let go of our own ideas about and longing for the world's normality and are willing to accept the normal of God, which is foolishness to the world. So I want to talk about preaching and I want to talk about our lifestyle. First of all, preaching. Look at verse 23. Paul says this, he says, we preach Christ, we preach Christ this way. We do this on purpose, this isn't something we're embarrassed about. We preach Christ, who is a stumbling block to, to the uh, Jews, but he's foolishness to the Greeks. The Jews have their own set of presuppositions about what a Messiah is supposed to be like, and we don't conform to that. So when we preach Christ crucified, they stumble on that. And the, the Gentiles have their own ideas about what power is and about what God's supposed to be like. And when we preach that God Almighty became a man and died for us, that doesn't fit their philosophy. It doesn't fit the presuppositions that they work with. And so they think that we're fools. But Paul doesn't say, therefore, we try to back off of the message a little bit to make it a little less foolish. Nor does he say we try to, you know, conform as much as possible to the Jewish expectation of what a Messiah is supposed to be so that they don't, uh, you know, uh, stumble on that and, 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 and get offended by that. Paul says, no, we're in their face. We preach Christ, foolishness to the one, stumbling block to the other, but to all who will say yes to it, it is the power and the wisdom of God. Now, Paul could in other situations be very culturally sensitive. When he talked to philosophers in Acts 17, he talked like a philosopher. He would package his message different depending on his audience. And that's a wise thing to do. That's a good thing to do. He talks philosophy to the philosophers. He talked like a rabbi to the rabbis. When he's in the synagogue, he quotes the scripture. When he's out on the field talking to philosophers, he quotes uh, philosophers. When he's talking to the Corinthians, he, 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 he told them, don't put unnecessary obstacles in the way of people. He says, when you come together, I don't want everybody speaking in tongues at the same time. Because if somebody comes in from the outside and, and doesn't know what speaking in tongues is, they're going to think you're mad. You're insane. Now, it's all right if they think you're insane for the right reasons. If they think you're insane because you're so sold out to the Lord and they think you're crazy because you're just, you know, marching to the beat of a different drummer, that's one thing. But don't, for stupid reasons, put uh, obstacles in front of people. So Paul was okay 
Paul was okay with, with uh, uh, adjusting, packaging how you say the gospel to people so as to make it more palatable, palatable to them. But what Paul and what Jesus was utterly opposed to was in any way compromising the content of the gospel. You see? How you say it is up for negotiation. How you sing it is up for negotiation. But what you say and what you sing must never be compromised. And what Paul is saying is this. If people find it offensive, if it doesn't fit their categories, if they think you're narrow-minded and silly and stupid, then so be it. Never begin to equivocate, modify, adopt, compromise the content of the gospel in order to make it more palatable to people. If you're preaching the real gospel, and if you're living out the real gospel, Paul says, he assumes at least, that there's going to be people that, that you're going to upset. That's normal. The same message which is life to one person is death to the person who won't receive it. And you've got to be okay with that. The same message which is uh, joy to one person is offensive to, the, to, to, a, to a different person. The same message which is a, such a blessing to one person uh, aggravates uh, a, a, a different person. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, the message that we proclaim, it, is, it has the aroma of life to all who believe. It, it smells like life to everyone who believes. Oh, this is good news. This smells right. But to all who reject it, Paul says, it, it, it is the stench of death. You ever smell death? Um, the, 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 the stench of some some roadkill rotting in the hot sun. Uh, it is just, we, when we were over in, in, in Israel uh, two years ago, we got off the bus stop to see the place where the pig, supposedly the pigs got demonized and then committed suicide, you know, the, the pig suicide, where they jumped off the hill and into the water. And we, we stopped at the bus, uh, a bus stop to get out and, and walk, look at that. It was 118 degrees that day. I'm not exaggerating, 118 degrees. And something had died earlier that afternoon. Or maybe the day before, but we got off the bus and it hit us. It was like, it was like running into a wall. Some ostrich had croaked and, and it was buried in the bushes, and it was in the process of cooking in slow motion. And it was, just, it, it was, ugh. I, you know, you, you you could taste it. It was, ugh, you know, what I'm talking about, just grotesque, the worst smell in the world. Well, what Paul is saying is this: uh, if you're preaching the right thing, some people are going to go, oh, that is good, and other people are going to go, ah. Ah, this is terrible. This is grotesque. And you got to be okay with that. There are some people who, when they tell me that my sermons stink, I say thank you. You know, uh, it's, it's like, well, then, then maybe, you see, if you're offending some people, some people are getting mad, some people are getting upset, because it's not quite fitting in with their philosophy. They want to do their own thing and think their own thoughts and hold their own ideas. And the Bible's confronting that. For them to say that it stinks is an okay thing. we got to rest okay with that. What concerns me a little bit, folks, is that there is, has been, in fact, for some time, kind of a, uh, a, a fad, it's a movement abroad in Christendom, which is, 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 is about how to grow churches really, really fast. And the way you do that is you don't offend people, you know? You don't offend people. You, 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 you uh, just make sure. The worst thing that you can ever do in, in one of these kind of church plants is, is to uh, do something that a seeker might be offended by. And you see, if you're, talking about, if you're talking about how you package the gospel, that's great. Package it in a way that is culturally relevant. But sometimes, and this is my concern, churches are so concerned with being culturally relevant, they're afraid of being culturally different. Amen? 
But if the gospel ever ceases to be culturally different, it ceases to be the gospel. What the gospel is about, about if it's about anything, uh, it, it, it is about uh, having a radical edge. It is about having a power. It's about having a dynamism that's willing to be prophetic when it needs to be prophetic and is willing to confront people when it has to confront people. Sometimes with, uh, the, in, in, in some of the church thinking today, worship becomes nothing more than entertainment because that's not offensive to people. And preaching becomes more than, nothing more than some kind of little self-help ear massage because that's not offensive to people, you see? But if, if I ever start doing that, will somebody do the church and me a favor and, and, and get me out of here and fire me? Because that is not the gospel. That is what I, I, I sometimes call a gospel light. It, it's like, uh, does anyone here, this is the right crowd for it, listen to 103 FM? Uh, it, it's the, the Terry Gar, you know, Terry Gar. It, it, it's light. It's easy. Uh, it, it's easy music. Uh, it, it's it's middle of the road. It's nothing too fast. Nothing too slow. Nothing too radical. You know, just kind of right there. Nice ear. It's just nice, and I like it when I'm in a mellow mood and I want to go to sleep. It's like, oh, this is nice. You know, while I'm driving, and then I run into someone's back end, and then I. But see, if that is gospel light, then, then, uh, then uh, the real gospel is more like 93.7. We got any hard rockers here? You know, uh, I don't like 93.7, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's got an edge to it. Well, see, the, the point is this. The gospel, whatever else you got to say about the gospel is, is it's not normal. It doesn't fit your categories for normal. It's not supposed to fit your categories for normal. It's supposed to blow apart your categories for normal. Amen. It's got an edge to it. It's got a bite to it. It's got a radical thing in it. God doesn't want to just improve upon what we already have. He wants to revolutionize us. Amen. He wants to change us. Uh, he wants to change the way we think about ourselves, the way we feel about ourselves, the way we relate to people, uh, the values that we have, the priorities that we have. And to do that, we've got to be willing to let go of our old ideas about normal and let God redefine what is normal to us. I got a new normal for you. I got a, a, a new way of, of, of living life. It's called life in the kingdom of God. But to buy into that, we've got to let go of all of our old presuppositions about what life's supposed to be like and what church is supposed to be like and what maybe sermons are supposed to be like and let God begin to redefine for us what is true. It would on one level. It would on one level be nice. It would be a nice sell, an easy sell. If I could stand up here and say something like this, Jesus is the best guy that ever lived. I mean, at least he's right up there with Muhammad and, and, and with, with uh, uh, Lao Tzu and with Confucius and with Buddha. And, and he's, he's one of the all-time great teachers. And, and uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we just need to embrace all of them. And, but I'm just so happy about Jesus. And, and I'm okay and you're okay. And, and Jesus is here to sweeten up your life a little bit and make things go a little bit better for you and improve upon the already wonderful life that, that you have. If he, you know, that would sell. We could, we could, we could, we, we could just get anybody to come to the church, I suppose, if we did that well enough and packaged it well enough. But the truth of the matter is this. Jesus is not one of the crowd. He's one of a kind. Amen. And blessed is he, Jesus says, who's not offended by me. This guy comes into the world and he says, I've come down from heaven. Uh, not to do my own will, but the, by the will of him who sent me. Who, is the guy, who does this guy think he is saying he came down from heaven? He says, if you see me, you see the Father. Who does this guy think he is? You know, if you, if you see me, you see God. This isn't what normal people do. He doesn't think normal. He doesn't act normal. He doesn't talk normal because I got a word for you here. Jesus Christ is not normal. The truth of the matter is that he is Lord. The truth of the matter is that he is God. 
The truth of the matter is that he is creator. The truth of the matter is that he is savior, praise God. He is the word of God, the son of God, the lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. And the Bible says that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one goes to the Father except by him. Sorry if that offends you, but I want to tell you this morning that that, there's life in that. There's salvation in that. Lay hold of him here this morning and believe in him with all of your heart. Amen. Hallelujah. It doesn't fit our categories, not our modern relativistic uh, all roads lead to God kind of philosophy. But for just that reason, we've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm sorry if it offends you, but, but, but th- th- this is the word. And I'm not okay and you're not okay. I, it'd be nice if we could say that. Let's just have a little love and up with humanity love fest thing here. But you know what, I'm not okay and you're not okay. We are both very screwed up and we need a savior. And that's the truth. Amen? Amen. Let God define his own normal. It sounds foolish to the world, but it's normal to God. And the normal of the world is foolishness to God. Now, this affects not only the content of what we say. It's got to affect the way that we live. It's got to affect the way that we live. Everything about the Christian life, all growth in the Christian life, now hear me, is a matter of letting go of one set of normals and grabbing on to another set of normal. Uh, another set of normals, uh, another set of, uh, of what it means, ideas of what it means to be normal. Uh, it is letting God, Paul says we are fools for Christ's sake. It is letting God move you more and more into a realm that the world is going to see as foolish. We all want to be normal, don't we? <laughs> no, you know, you know, see, no, we all, see, we all want to be normal. Um, but here's the, and it's harder for some of us than others. I grant you that, all right? I'm, I'm willing to grant you that. Uh, you know, praise God. And I'm so glad that God's idea of what normal is is a lot bigger than, than what people's idea of what normal is. You know, I think God thinks everybody as they're created as normal, and praise God for that. But we, we humans set up an idea of what normal is, and we try to fit into it. You really see it. It's, it, it's painfully obvious when you're dealing with junior high students. You know, uh, poor, pray for our junior high students. Do you remember what it was like to be in junior high? It's an excruciating period of time. You want so badly to fit in. I remember just having fear in my heart going up to the lunch line because I didn't see anybody that would allow me to sit next to them. And the curse of curses to be the leper who has to sit alone during lunchtime. Then everyone would know that you don't have a friend and that'd be, oh, you'd never live that one down. It'd be terrible. It's a, it's a terrible period of life. It is a curse. We ought to just bypass it and go from being 10 to 18. But we're cursed with this thing here. Do you remember some of the things they used to do to fit in, to be normal? Wait, we're social creatures. We need this. I'm a product of the 60s. We used to, uh, uh, man, what we did to be normal, first of all, we called ourselves freaks because that would make the parents not like us. And the prerequisite for being a normal teenager is you got to have your, it's got to be different than your parents' normal. Uh, they got to be, they have to be aghast at what you're doing. So, so we were the freaks, you know, and we'd go to the store and buy $50 jeans and, and then we'd cut them in two. And we'd sew an old pair, uh, one leg from one old pair of jeans, you did this, onto the new pair. Remember that? Uh, I would sew this. You should see my sewing. It is, I'd sew it all around. And uh, so we'd have two different pairs of pants. And then you put patches on them where you don't have any holes. You put patches so people think that there are holes there. And you tie-dye them and you fray the bottoms of them. And you try to poke some holes all over the place and, and, and then throw some mud on them. And the point of the whole thing. You know, you spend all this time and all this money making these pants look terrible in order to make a, a statement to the establishment that you're not materialistic and you don't care how you look. That's why you spend all this time on how you look. You see, 
But the point was, it didn't have to be consistent. It just had to be accepted by your peers. So you'd go around looking like this, and the parents wouldn't let us look like this, so we had to hide the pants outside. And you go to school, and behind the bush, you take off one pair of pants and put on the other pair of pants because you want to be normal when you go to school, and looking this weird is what normal is. See, it's just things haven't changed. Today, they're not really into that. They're more into finding a part of their body to pierce, you know, and they're inventing parts of the body just so they can pierce them. But it's all about being normal. Now, here's the thing. We don't, all, we don't completely grow out of that. And some of that is, is very natural. But if we're not careful, our, if we're not careful, our desire for convenience and normality and fitting in can begin, begin to be Lord of our life. And it begins to dictate uh, who we are and what we do and what we believe and where we go and, and everything else. There's a part of us, let's just name it out loud, a part of us that is, would like things to be very convenient. And so we want a normal life. We want a normal religion. We want to go down the middle of the road. We want it, w, we want it 103 FM. Nice and light and easy and convenient. It fits in. It's, it, it's Minnesota nice. It's in middle of the road, mashed potato kind of thing. We like it normal. We like normal sermons, a normal wife, a normal husband, a normal kid, a normal house, normal car, and whatnot. And if we're not careful, we end up just absorbing the world's definition of what is normal. But that is a box. It's a prison. It's chains. It's ironclad bars around you. Because everything that is good and of value in the kingdom of God comes when we let go of the world's definition of what is normal and begin to grab hold of God's definition of what is normal. Jesus taught it like this. He says, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. You can't do it. Uh, they'll burst the wineskins. You've got to get new wineskins. Our old definitions about ourselves, our old ways of thinking about ourselves, our old ideas about what worship is, about what uh, financial responsibility is, uh, about just what life is about, all of that, I want to say to you this morning, are old wineskins. And as long as we hang on to those old wineskins, the new wine of God, the new life of God, the power, the joy, the peace, the transforming radical edge of the gospel, it can't fit in. It, it doesn't have a place for it. So we keep on just getting these little drops in there, and we think that we're getting the full blessing. When, in fact, God has got, uh, oh, he's got a wine house, and he wants his people, he wants his bride to, now hear me right, and do not quote me out of context, he wants his bride to be an intoxicated bride. All right, bride. Amen? He wants us to be drunk in the Spirit. He wants us to be just uh, absorbed, saturated, soaked with His presence, with His love, with His truth. So that we're marching to His own beat. We're, we're listening to Him as our, our, our groom, not to the beat of the world, not to the voice of the world. we got new wine just flowing, us, flowing through us. So many believers miss out on the good stuff of the Christian life because they're, they're addicted to normality. They're addicted to just keeping it safe. And they don't listen to the voice of the Spirit who is always in their life, trying to move them, trying to change them, trying to stretch them, trying to grow them. Growth in the Christian life means willingness to do new things, to grow in new directions, to let God expand you. Everything new that we do feels odd at first. And here's where the rubber hits the road. The question is, are you willing to feel odd, to feel unnormal, to let God begin to give you a new normal, a new normal? Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He says, a good soldier does not become overly involved in civilian affairs. Does not become overly involved in civilian affairs, but is always seeking to please its commanding officer. 
All right, a good soldier. You're stationed in enemy lines. That's exactly where, the, where, where we are, army. We're stationed behind enemy lines. You don't get involved, overly involved in civilian affairs, but you're always seeking to please your commanding officer. You're normal. What it is to be normal in an army is radically different than what it is to be normal as a civilian. Think about it. When you understand that you have a commanding officer, that you've got a job to do, that there's a war going on, there's, there's an enemy empire that, we're, that you're supposed to topple, normal in a war zone is radically different than normal on a vacation. In the world, they live like, uh, like, like they're on vacation. Uh, it, it's all about number one, looking out for number one. That's normal in the world, but normal in the kingdom of God is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen? Normal in the world is living for yourself, but normal in the kingdom of God is dying to self. Normal in, in the world is pursuing the American dream, but normal in the kingdom of God is pursuing God's dream, that the Father's will would be done on, uh, here on earth as it is in heaven. Two radically different senses of normal. Growth is about growing towards the one and growing away from the other. So let me end this morning by just giving a couple of practical areas a couple of practical areas uh, where, 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 where this applies. Then let me just say this before I do that. I'm not talking about being weird for weird's sake. I'm using this term normal here. And you might leave here thinking, gosh, we're supposed to be some kind of weirdo, freako oddballs. Um, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says being weird for weird's sake is a good thing. Weirdness is not an end in and of itself. Uh, there are some Christians who think that. They want to be different just to be different. Um, and there's no virtue in that. The church I got saved in, the good-hearted people love God, but, but they wanted to be weird just to be weird. If the world did it, they wouldn't do it just because the world did it, even if it was okay for everybody to do. They just got, they, their life to them was about, uh, they felt righteous just being oddballs. The women, for example, in this church were never allowed to cut their hair. They were never allowed to, I mean, they had hair down to their ankles. They had to wear it up in a bun, and they had to... Um, uh, wear these 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 uh, skirts. They could never wear pants, so they wore skirts that were down to their ankles, and uh, and they could never wear any makeup or jewelry. They looked like 80 year old women who were transplants from the 1920s, but they felt righteous about it. You know, young, attractive women just made themselves look like this because that's what they thought was the righteous thing to do. Sometimes it got bizarre. One time we went in in, in the middle of January, went went tubing down this hill, and these women had to wear skirts. Now think about this, it's like 40 below, you know, and it's cold. Now some of them got liberal and put pants underneath the skirts, you know, that was liberal. And I remember thinking to myself, in fact, I said it to somebody, I was a new Christian and I didn't know what, what normal was for Christians. I thought all Christians were like this. I said, well, if you're putting on pants, why don't you just take off the skirt? Because it just gets in the way. And they said, oh no, it's godly to, to, to wear a skirt if you're a girl. And uh, I said, well, doesn't God like have x-ray vision and can see through the skirt? Uh, it's like, God knows the difference. And then they said, well, we're doing this as a witness. This is a witness to the people that are going to be on the hill. And I just thought to myself, why would anybody look at these people doing this silly thing, going snow, snowboard, tubing on snow with a skirt on, and all of a sudden want to love Jesus? Like, oh, well, I get, can I be like that? You know, can I be, can, can I do this? You see, that's weird. Good-hearted people, they meant well, but they're weird for all the wrong reasons. The, the, the foolishness that the Lord calls us to is a foolishness that comes as He transforms our heart so that we end up loving something that, that we didn't used to love and having a priorities that we didn't used to have and a value system we didn't used to have. We, we, we're transformed from the inside out. And all I'm saying here this morning is this. Let it happen. Go all the way with it. Do not compromise it. 
Let the foolishness of God have his perfect way in your life. So you become fools for Christ's sake. In your prayer lives, for example, I would encourage you never to coast, never coast in a, an idea about what normal is. What was, what was an achievement last year? Maybe now the Lord says, I want to move you beyond that. Be open to the Lord, moving you into a deeper prayer life. Maybe the Lord will have you get out of bed 15 minutes before you used to get out of bed. Or stay up 15 minutes later than you used to stay up. Or do something different during your lunch break, like, 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 like pray a little bit. Uh, let the Lord begin to cultivate new things in your life when it comes to your prayer life. Because this foolish activity, it is foolish by the world's standards, but this is how the kingdom of God is built. So let God continually be, move, be, be moving you in that area, drawing you into a deeper and deeper relationship with Him. Never coast with what, with, with what used to be good enough. I encourage you to be praying in your families. Cultivate that. Now, if you're like me and you, you weren't raised in a family that... Um, uh, did prayer, uh, it feels weird. It's like praying more than you used to pray. It may feel odd at first. It, every new thing feels odd at first, but I encourage you to let go of the old wineskin and grab hold of the new wineskin that God has for you. Uh, you'll find that you develop a new sense of normal. Our family, my wife and I, used to be really awkward praying around each other. It just was really weird. It was odd, too, because I could pray with anybody else and not feel awkward, but I, we felt awkward in the, in, in the family. That's because I didn't have any paradigms in my mind about, you know, how you pray in a family. Well, if you just bite the bullet and you go with it, in time, it becomes very, very natural. Now we're driving down the street and all of a sudden she'll start saying, oh, Lord, help, uh, help our kids. Lord, be over our kids. This so-and-so is out at a friend's house. Watch over them. And it's like breathing. You just talk. You just, it's not this, you know, prayer is not about putting up some shrine in your house and burning incense and doing a big ritual. It's as natural as breathing. At least that's how it's supposed to be. Paul says, pray without ceasing. So now you just pray with our kids. It used to be very odd when we prayed with our kids. Now it's just a matter of, of it's, it's just very natural. The key, by the way, this is a free, I'm giving this to you for free now. Um, for those of you with adolescents, the key is don't announce to them that you're going to pray. You just do it. Uh, you, you, you hug them and then you all of a sudden you start saying, oh Lord, just watch over Johnny uh, God, bless them as they go to school. And they'll kind of like, but you see, you, you, you already got them. You know, you, you, you trapped them. And in time, in time, they get used to it, okay? That's the new, the normal in the kingdom of God is for prayer to be as natural as breathing. The world, normal in the world makes it an awkward kind of a formality thing. The reverends have to do it for supper, you know. Oh, God, and you got to talk in a King James language. That's not where it's at. Normal in the kingdom of God is, is you talk to God the same way you talk to your spouse or talk to your best friend because God is your spouse, spouse and your best friend. So you make it part of your life. Pray for your neighbors. Make that part of your new normal. Make that part of your new normal. Driving out of the block, driving into the block. Be a, a, a lighthouse of prayer where you just are a blessing machine. You're blessing people around you. At first it feels weird. It will feel weird. Like, what am I doing here? But in time... In time, it's new wineskin, and God begins to pour new wine into it. And this is how the kingdom of God is built. Two days ago, I was out with, uh, on the lawn with my neighbor. And uh, a couple years ago, I mentioned to you that I was um, starting this lighthouse of prayer kind of thing, praying for neighbors. And I mentioned to him, he's got a real bad hip and a real bad ankle. And I said, you know, I'm going to pray for you, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll be praying. He goes, oh, fine. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, here's what happened. I didn't know this till two days ago. But he went into the hospital to get operated on, and while he was in the hospital, he's flicking through the stations, and he hears the sermon that I'm preaching. It's the sermon where I mention him, uh, of uh, you know how I was going to pray for him, and uh, and I, I didn't know this till just two days ago. 
So he's telling me this, and I'm thinking, oh, is he going to be mad? Uh, you know, because he's in the hassle. Maybe he thinks it didn't work or whatever. But then he goes, you know what? Two things. Number one, I want royalties if you make money on this thing. Yeah, if you're going to use the neighborhood talent, in fact, you, Fred, hi, if you're watching this right now. If, if you're going to use the neighborhood talent, you got to give kickbacks. And I said, you know what? I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll give you double everything I've made already on this film here. Because <laughs> yeah. um, he, he says, and the other thing is, you know what? It works. It works. That prayer stuff really works. So you say, praise God, you see? You wouldn't, amen. But see, that wouldn't have happened if, if we stuck to our old paradigm about staying inside of ourselves, staying enclosed. You gotta step out. Be willing to, to try new things. Uh, let God break out the old, break, break you out of the old paradigms and move into a new paradigm. I encourage you, uh, in the area of stewardship. Um, I want to praise God, first of all, for what he's been doing here in terms of our building. Uh, I am just so Im- impressed with, with uh, how people are stepping up to this thing. Uh, we just got another $60,000 last week in the building fund. We're down to $180,000 left before we make our $2 million. Amen. So thank God for that. And I encourage those of you who haven't been on board uh, to, to really pray about this. But here's the point I want to make. Don't let the world define what it is to be a responsible steward of your resources. What's normal to the world is not what's normal to God. It's about this different. The world says keep everything that you have. The Lord says know that everything you have belongs to God. That's kind of different there. And it has radical implications for how we live. Let God continually move you and press you and push you and mold you into a person who is responsible in the normal way that a kingdom person is responsible. You lay up all your resources before God and you say, God, how do you want me to use this? You know, and, and, and how much of it do you want to keep to myself? And you may get to the point, a number of people in the church got to, got to this point uh, through this building fund where you're actually shocked at how much you're giving away. You look down and think, man, this is foolish. The devil says, think of what else you could have done with that. $10,000 or, or, or whatever it is that you gave away. But then the Spirit of God will come along and say, Bob, but think what you did with that $10,000. And this is the one that pays eternal dividends. And there is a freedom, praise God, and a joy, praise God, that comes from being liberated from the tyranny of the materialism of our culture. You're a minister of the gospel. Uh, you submit to God what your, your resources and ask, God, how would you uh, have me use these? And I'm not just talking about giving to the church. Develop an eye for the needs around you. And your resources are yours to, uh, to expend as your captain leads you. I'm just saying, be radical about it. Let God move you into new areas of normal. Let him, let him reteach you what it is to be a responsible uh, a steward. The final thing I want to say is simply this. Uh, as kingdom, we can apply it to a lot of different areas. But I'm just going to apply it to one, a third area. As kingdom people, here's, here's a normal thing. God tells you to do something and you do it. That's normal in the kingdom of God. Uh, in the world, they call it psychosis. But what's normal is that, you know, the Holy Spirit, here's the thing. What's normal to us in the natural is that everything that goes on in our brain is our own thinking, and everything that goes on in our heart is our own feeling. The, the, our, we are a self-enclosed system. But nothing could be farther from the truth. We are to be open to the Holy Spirit moving us and leading us and guiding us at all times. And I, I, listen to me here. I want to encourage every soldier in the army here. Paul says the good soldier doesn't become so overly involved in civilian affairs that you're not seeking to please your commanding officer. Seek to please your commanding officer. And that means walking through life with an ear 
uh, cup towards him. Or if you will, walking with the, the walkie-talkie of the Holy Spirit on. The Lord still talks to his people all the time. The difference is that his people in this culture don't tend to listen to him. What's normal in the kingdom of God is that you're listening to the inner workings of the Holy Spirit. And it, it, at first, this is weird. You don't really know, is, is God telling me to do this or not? It feels weird. It maybe feels a little bit awkward. It's a little bit confusing. But I'm telling you, if you begin to step out on some of those impulses, as foolish as it may feel, you begin to step out on some of those impulses, and you find that, you know what, kingdom coincidences start to happen. You begin to identify the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. You begin to learn the voice of God. And he tells you to go over and say hi to this person. Uh, why don't you just lend a hand to that neighbor over there? Why don't you send $30 to this family in need over there? Uh, why don't you right now pray for this person over here? Why don't you just go over and start a conversation with that person and whatnot and begin to obey that? And it's weird. This is weird stuff I'm saying here, but it's normal in the kingdom of God because that's how God moves his army. Praise God. It's a, it can be as simple as this, walking up to somebody that you just have a little bit of an impression. A little still small voice that says, go over and meet that person. And you say, is there something that I can do to help you? Uh, and maybe they'll say no. That's okay. You just say a little prayer for them. Uh, or maybe they'll say, how did you know? And, 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 and all of a sudden, there's a door of ministry open there. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. About three years ago, there's a lady who came to our, the church here. And, and uh, she just came up after the service and said, you know what? It, I'm... I think I'm supposed to, she's listening to the Holy Spirit. She says, I just feel like I'm supposed to help you and your family. Is there something I can help you with? And I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, thanks anyways, though. And for about six months, she kept on saying, I'm supposed to help you. And, and I kept on saying, well, I don't know. Um, and in the meantime, she was getting blessed by being in the, in the ministry here, and God was doing some things in her life. And I can't give you this whole testimony now. I, in about ten years, I'll be able to. But I'll just tell you this, after about six months, all of a sudden, something small transpired that made it extremely, extremely obvious why she was set in this congregation. And it just had incredible implications for my family. Uh, th that happened because someone was listening to the voice of God. It's not normal to do in our culture, but it's normal for a soldier to do, and we are all soldiers of the Most High God. I encourage you in closing... To let God give you a new normal. Never settle, never coast, never relax. Always be letting God try new things, do new things, develop new things in your life. What was sufficient last week might not be sufficient this week. Be open to God moving you in new ways, getting rid of the old wineskin, giving you new wineskin, and then getting you drunk on the new wine of His Spirit that He wants to pour in your life. Can we stand and close? Would the prayer team come forward here and stand up on the, on the stairs? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please do not leave without making that commitment to Him. Would you just come forward and these folks would be happy to explain to you how to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Simplest thing in the world, but it makes an eternal difference. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're addicted to an old wineskin, an old definition of, of normality, so you're not growing the way God wants you to grow. I encourage you as well to come forward and pray with one of these fine folks and, and tear down that stronghold in your life. Let me close in prayer. Father, let the power and the peace and the joy and the radicalness of your Holy Spirit be on us 
as we go out of this place, Lord. Help us to be radical, sold-out kingdom people, Lord, who walk according to your voice, not the voice of the culture, who listen to your commands, not the commands of the culture, who dance to your music, not the music of the culture, Lord God. And, and Lord God, give us an eye and an ear for, for, to see and to hear the needs in the world around us and to be responsive kingdom people as we live to spread your kingdom against the kingdom of darkness as we go out of this place. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. Go forth in the power of God. The altar is open.